0: Good morning, Houston Church. Glad you've chosen to join us this Easter Sunday morning as we come together and we celebrate. Sing it out wherever you are. Let's all celebrate together as we are meeting at one time. ¶¶¶¶¶
1: Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin ¶¶
0: Well, good morning, Houston Church, or good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're tuning into this, and happy Easter. And uh, this is week, I believe it's number four, and I, I'm, I'm counting like that because it's helpful for me to keep straight the weeks, just like probably each day you're trying to find ways to keep straight what day is it, right? So I think this is week number four that we're, we're gathering in this way, um, but scattered, and uh, the the great thing about Easter, and maybe you've seen this, uh, we're all spending probably more time on social media than we need to at this point, but there's some good in that, right? And, and some of the things that people have been posting is Easter's not canceled, right? So um, you're gathered wherever you are, at a lake or in your home, in a living room, in a car, wherever. And the reality is, and this has been... A sticking point for me for for several years as a pastor, as a follower of Christ is um, Easter shouldn't look much different from what we would normally do when we gather because the reality is, yeah it's it's something that we're celebrating that is unique and makes Christianity set apart from everything else. in fact it's the it's the event of the resurrection that that sets Christianity apart and changed all of history and upon which we stand. and without it, as Paul would say in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're without hope and it's, it's a wasted life if, if Christ hasn't raised. But the reality is that's why we gather every time we gather. It's what makes us a people who is set apart is that because Christ raised, he then sends his spirit and then we are all united. So even though we're not gathered in person, wherever we are, we are united by the same spirit. And we're reunited with, with brothers and sisters in Christ all across the world, uh, united by the same Spirit. And so, uh, happy Easter to you, wherever you are. And uh, this morning, I'm glad that you, or this evening or afternoon, whenever it is, I'm glad that you chose to tune in and celebrate this Sunday and this Easter with us. And so, I want to invite you to, to grab your Bibles if you don't have those. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Ruth so we are gonna continue on with our F260 reading plan. And uh, part of my goal, uh, you're gonna find yourself saying, where does the Easter message come in here? And stay tuned, you'll see it. But I wanted to stay with our reading plan. And, and here's why. I wanna take just a, a minute or so to explain a philosophy to you of mine when it comes to preaching. Maybe you get this, maybe you haven't noticed it, I don't know. My goal in preaching, every sermon, every sermon, every sermon, my goal is to point, to, to one, explain the text in the context to make sure it's making sense based on how it was written to the original audience. Let's make sure we understand it in its biblical context or it's, sometimes we call it its canonical context in the history of the canon of the scriptures unfolding when the books were written during the history of the people. But also theologically, how does it make sense in tying into the overall whole of the story of the Bible. But every sermon every message, my goal is to explain the gospel. And that may be in, as, as I'm helping us to see how does this story point us to the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection and the hope that comes with that. Or, or at the end, even if I've explained the gospel throughout the message trying to show how this points to Christ, uh, my goal is always to come back and, and by way of application, Think, okay, how does this apply to people who have already trusted in Christ, but how does this apply to people who hasn't? So you're going to see that application. And that's why I say, in philosophy-wise, it, it, it doesn't make much of a difference that this is Easter versus any other Sunday. In my mind, there's not a lot of change in the way I prepare because every sermon for me, my goal is proclaim the gospel. So um, we're going to be in the book of Ruth, and as we go through, we're going to cover the entire book, which is four chapters, it's a great story. If you haven't read it already, you should read it. Take, take about 15, 20 minutes and read through it. But we're going to do leaps and bounds through the book. So we're going to be jumping around. I'm going to throw a few verses from each chapter up here to kind of give you the high points. I'm going to summarize a whole lot to tell the story. All right? Uh, so Ruth, it, it's um, in your Old Testament there if you haven't found that already. Um, you're going to go after the first five books, and you've got Joshua, then you've got Judges, and then Ruth. It's a short book that falls right after Judges. Let me pray for us as we, we get in there. Thanks, Lord, for this time together today. Now, take, take your word, God, and, and, and open our minds and our hearts and our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. Let your spirit guide us, teach us, and help us to understand your word, and then apply it to our lives. And may Christ be glorified in all that is said. We pray it in Christ's name amen. All right, so the book of Ruth here, and, and uh, here's where we're going. Ruth is a, a fantastic love story. If you like love stories, I'm not a romantic. I, I'm not. My wife would be saying amen. In fact, she's probably sitting right next to me right now on the couch looking at me as I said that, either nodding her head or saying amen. Okay, so I'm not a romantic, but if you're a romantic, you will love the aspects of this book that are, that are brought up. There's a tremendous love story here. And so for those of you who think the Bible is just boring, listen, I like to tell, tell my kids from time to time and tell the people, hey, what do you like to read? if you like adventure there's adventure if you like love and romance there's love and romance if, if if you like mystery there's certainly mystery if you like poetry there's poetry there there is all kinds of genres here ruth is a story a factual story, but it's a story, it's a narrative, it's, it's taking place in history, and it's a love story of sorts. But it's not, it's not like a love story that you would maybe watch that you've probably been binging on Netflix. And so let's, uh, let's dive into Ruth. Here's where we're going this morning. Uh, wh- where there's emptiness, God can bring fullness. And, and I would just put that before you. Start to think about where is there emptiness in my life right now? Where would I look at my life and I'd describe myself as being empty? feeling just desolate, deserted. There's nothing there. There's no fulfillment. There's no satisfaction. I'm empty and I'm looking for something. I'm searching for something. And what is it I'm trying to find fullness in? What is it I'm trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in? Because here's what we're going to see in the book of Ruth this morning. Where there is emptiness, God brings fullness. And so... Let's take a look at that first part, because what we're going to see as the story opens up, and you're going to identify with this real quick, is death brings emptiness. Death brings emptiness. So look with me at at Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 1, and then we'll jump around here a bit. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now pause there for a minute because there's some important information there. If you just finished a reading plan in, in Judges, you would have read Judges. Now the reading plan didn't have you read the last three chapters of Judges, but if you were with us a couple years ago when we preached through the book of Judges, you know how dark that time was. How desperate people were acting, how sinful people were acting, how depraved people were acting. And... Ruth opens up by saying this story that we're about to hear takes place in the time of the judges. And there is a famine in the land. Now, remember that God had told his people through the covenant that there's going to be some blessings and cursings in the land based on how you respond to the Lord. If you obey, blessing. If you disobey, curses. Well, one of the curses would be if you turn your back on the Lord and start following other gods, there'll be famine in the land. God will not bring the rain when it's time. So what the author is telling us as we open up the story is that this is during a time of disobedience in the land of Israel. The people of God have been disobedient. They've turned their backs. They're likely under the, the, uh, the, the captivity or rule of other people in their land, maybe the Philistines, maybe, maybe a different type of people. But the famine is in the land, which have driven this particular family, this Israelite family, out of the land of Israel into a land that is not part of the land that God promised to them. It's the land of Moab. And so they went to sojourn in the land of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. That's all very important to this story because it's telling us this story takes place in a dark time in the history of the people of God. In a desperate time. And it's driven this particular family, this man of, man of Israel and his family to a land away from where God has led them. All right, so, so let's, uh, let's keep reading. Let's go to, to verse three through five there. So chapter one, verse three, the man's name is Elimelech. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, okay, so that's gonna be a key character there, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mahalon and Keelon, those are the sons, died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So things just went from bad, to worse. You've been in a situation like that where, where you, you, maybe provision was low and things were desperate and things seemed dark and it drove you outside of your routine, outside of your, your normal way of operating, hello, right? And, and you're, you're in a place that's uncertain and unfamiliar and now you're living in that, in that uncertainty and that unfamiliarity and you're doing the best you can and then things go from bad to worse, in Naomi's case, who's going to be a key character here in the book, her husband Elimelech dies while she's in this foreign land. And then not only did her husband die, but then her two sons died as well, leaving Naomi without any men in her life. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. You see there's two other people that are introduced, that, that the two sons, uh, that Mahalan and, and Kilion, they married while they were in the land of Moab. Then they didn't marry Israelite wives, they married Moabite women, which would have been discouraged, which would have been looked down upon. It was not the ideal for 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 uh, the people of Israel. But they they married these these two. Uh, one's name was Orpa. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Yes, and I and I believe you'll find this if you look this up. That this is where Oprah was actually named, except that they spelled it wrong. They were going to name her Orpa, but I guess they spelled it wrong. Or or something like that, and it became Oprah. But just a little trivia there for you. And the other daughter, uh, the other Moabite woman, was named Ruth, who the book's named after. All right, so, so here's Naomi's situation before we go any, th- any further. It's a dark time in the people of Israel's history. They've been driven out of the land to go find food and provision. They had to go outside of routines, outside of the norm, outside of the familiar, outside of the comfortable. And while they're living in that uncertain, uncomfortable, unfamiliar, dark time, Things go from bad to worse. Her husband dies, and then her two sons die. Now, this is a big deal in this time, because in this time, for a woman, if you were widowed and you had no sons, you had no husband, you had no rights. It's not right. That's just the way it was. And so a woman without a husband and without sons, and just two daughters-in-law, foreigners at that, two Moabite daughter-in-laws, this woman has just gone from, from being part of the social interaction of the people of Israel to now below that, destitute, desperate, no rights. She has no right to the land that her husband would have owned. She has no inheritance, nothing. And nobody, nobody's gonna marry a widow. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a very common or favorable thing to marry a widow. You were, you were looked at by some as if God was judging you because your husband died and you were left without. and So she's left in this dark situation, empty, destitute, desperate, right? And she's left with these two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Let's look at verse six here. In verse six, so then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So what's going on here is that the cycle of the judges, remember that the, the cycle of the judges is the people of God uh, disobey. God uh, brings up uh, a foreign people to, to overcome them, to rule over them or to judge them. The people realize they're under judgment. They repent. They turn back to the Lord. God raises up a judge or a savior um, thank Samson, thank Deborah, thank Gideon. Um, these are the types of characters that come up in the book of Judges. Those characters, these judges overthrow the people that have been ruling over the people of Israel, brings the people of Israel into a period of peace and, and a provision. And then they stay in that so long as they're obedient to the Lord. And then the cycle starts over when they disobey. So that cycle has come around while, while Naomi is in this land of, of Moab working in the fields with her two daughters-in-law. She hears that the Lord has visited the people in Israel and the famine is no longer there. And so she, she, she arises to go back to her motherland, back to the land where God had provided for his people so that she might perhaps find provision there. All right, so we keep going. We're going to jump to verse 16 now. Verses 16 and 17. So she, she says, Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, you guys turn around, go back to your family. There's nothing for you here. I have nothing to offer you. I have no sons. Are you gonna... She even says, are you gonna wait around till I might possibly have another son and then wait for that son to get older so that you might marry him? She says, go back to your families. You might have better luck there, right? In a matter of speaking. Orpah does. However, here's Ruth, verse 16. But Ruth said, speaking to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So, so there's the context of that famous wedding verse, right? It's not even in the context of, of a wedding, of a marriage, but in the context of a faithful relationship, right? Ruth expressing her loyalty to, to her mother-in-law, which is why it oftentimes will get used in a marriage setting. So Ruth says, no, I'm not going back to my, my, my mother, my, my, my family. I'm going to stay with you. and and, and your people have become my people. Your God has become my. This is a tremendous statement of loyalty because Ruth has nothing. Naomi has nothing to offer Ruth. In fact, they're gonna go back to the land of Israel and listen, they're gonna go back to the land of Israel and now Naomi is a widow and Ruth is a foreigner and she's a widow. So if you thought things were bad for Naomi, who's old and widowed, Ruth is a foreigner and widowed. This is not a good situation for them. And yet, Ruth says to her mother in law, No, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I've transferred my loyalty, loyalty from my family to you and your family, from the gods I used to worship to your God. And nothing but death will, will separate us. That, that right now tells you the character of this woman, this young woman, Ruth. And it's beautiful. Right? And so we, we, we go on now. And jump to verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 and 20, we read this. So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now they're back in the land of Israel, Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the, one, the women said, is this Naomi? Now you, can, you can picture women gossiping, right? Forgive me, women. No, because that doesn't happen today. I know that. But you can imagine back in that day, especially church women gossiping, right? Is this Naomi? <laughs> Do you remember when she left here? She was married to a Limelech, and she had two great-looking boys. I, I heard that those boys married some foreigners. Oh, that may be one with her. I heard that that she lost her husband. Oh, she must have done something. God's judgment is upon her. You you. I mean, you can probably imagine that. Maybe you've never partaken in that, never participated in that, never experienced that. But this is how church people acted back in that day, right? Nothing's changed. All right, so, so they, they're whispering, is this Naomi? Now, it's now important. Naomi, the name Naomi means pleasant. Go on to verse 20 now. Naomi says to them, Do not call me Naomi, means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. This is the statement of a woman who has gone from bad to worse, who has experienced death, And as a result of that death, it's brought emptiness into her life, separation from her people and her family. It has left her far off and without, and and in need of something that she cannot in this culture provide for herself. And she takes her situation and her circumstances, and she says, I'm not pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, because God has dealt bitterly with me. Call me Mara. Some of you have known the crushing nature of of things going from bad to worse. Some of you have experienced the emptiness that is brought about by death. Death. And, and you, have, you have experienced the downward spiral of going from maybe being pleasant and fulfilled and, and happy to, what do I have to live for? Why has God looked upon me in such a way? Why has, why has God done this to me? And you start to point the finger at God because if he loved you, if he was for you, if he really saw you, then how could he let this come into your life? How could he leave you so scorned, so forgotten, so empty? Some of you know that that pain, that emptiness. Some of you know it because you've experienced death and it has left you reeling, wondering if God sees, if God hears, if he's forgotten you. Or, or maybe it wasn't quite death, but maybe a sickness. And, and just like death, sickness is a result of sin in the world Sickness is a result of sin's impact on our body and in a world where, where sin is ruling and reigning and so there's death and there's decay and there's breakdown and you've experienced sickness. You're experiencing it now and, it, and it's disrupting life and health. It's leaving you separated and feeling empty. Feeling desperate. Desperate destitute, wondering, does God see? Does God hear? And maybe today you find yourself, or maybe throughout the week you found yourself wondering, is there a, a way to ever be full again? You know, in that, in that sense of living life to the fullest, you know? Is there, is there a way to go from that emptiness to being full? Is there a way to have what I once had or maybe to have what I've never known, but that I'm longing for, fullness. You see, because death brings emptiness. But as we continue on with the story, we're gonna find as the story starts to shift gears, death may bring emptiness, but God brings fullness. And so we're going we're to really fly through the rest of the, this story. The next two, two three chapters uh, are going to really move the action along here, right? And so we, we go on and look with me at chapter two, verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, now this is important because we're introduced to another, another main character. So you've got Naomi, you've got Ruth, and now Boaz. Now, don't forget, though, the main character of every book of the Bible, every one of the 66 books of the Bible, the main character is always God. And so you've got these three. You've got Naomi, the widow, the old widow, destitute, lost no rights, Ruth, a foreigner, widow, now in a land that's not her own, and now introduced to this relative of Elimelech, a cousin perhaps, and his name is Boaz. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna jump to verse 20, because what's gonna happen now is Ruth is capable of working, so she's gonna go, and she's going to go work in the fields to try to provide for her and Naomi. Naomi. And and she's going to go and she's going to, the the wording is fantastic. This is how you know the main character of this particular book is God because the author is going to say, and it happened. So we're introduced to to Boaz in verse one of chapter two. He's a relative. And it happened that that Ruth ended up working in the fields of Boaz. It happened. Now, Now listen, there's no coincidence when it comes to God. God does not run his world by luck or coincidence. He runs the world by sovereignty. He is always in control, never out of control, always aware of every single detail. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing happens that surprises God. And so we look at, look at verse 20 here with me. Chapter 2, verse 20. And Naomi, so Ruth has come home with a bundle of stuff, of wheat and provision. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now there's two things, two words here it's important to pick up that are key to the book of Ruth. So Ruth ends up finding great favor with Boaz and if you read the story, you find out how kind Boaz is to her and how he, he, he shows a special type of care and favor because he had watched her and he sees that she is this young woman who is just trying to provide for her and her mother-in-law and she's taking a hard job. Listen for a moment because some of you particularly are coming to mind for me and I don't know if you're watching this but you're having to provide, you're a a wife, you're a mother, and you're having to provide for your family, and you're doing hard work, or you've been in that spot. Maybe you're a single mom, or you're carrying a second job on top of a primary job. Whatever the case may be, you are trying to provide for your family, and it's hard work. This story is for you. This man, Boaz, watches her from afar and he's so impressed with her in a completely pure way because he sees this young woman who is working diligently to provide for her and he knows what's going on in their family. And so he loads her up with provision and he he sends her home with an abundance of food. He even tells his workers, hey, leave stuff for her to be able to get it. And he, 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 he protects her from the men working in the field. It's a beautiful thing that starts to develop here. That word kindness, it's in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a loaded theological word. Hebrew word, you've heard it, it's chesed. Right? and it's this word that has so many different translations kindness loving kindness steadfast kindness faithfulness loyalty sacrificial love I mean it's a it's so so diverse of a word it can be many it's many faceted that's a better way to say it and it can be translated in so many different ways or try to capture it when it describes God and his character it describes some of those those features and character traits about God that we love the most his, his, his faithfulness his loyalty his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his special type of covenant love to his people. And so when someone acts in that type of love, as Boaz does here, that word kindness is the word. He shows this kindness to someone in a, who's in a position of abundance to be able to show grace and kindness and favor to a person who's in a position of lack. Someone who's in a position of power to be able to show favor to someone who's in a, who's in a position of poverty. Um, it, it's that, that kind of favor, not a condescending favor, but a grace-filled, reaching out, reaching down. It's the type of kindness and favor that God shows to his people. In the New Testament, the same concept gets translated by a Greek word, uh, charis. Uh, If we anglicize it, or Americanize it, it's charis, grace. And so kindness, this type of kindness is what Boaz shows to Ruth. And then Naomi says, hey, he's a relative of ours, he's a close relative, he's one of our redeemers. Now this word is pulling on a concept that was really articulated in the book of Leviticus, but was already in practice before that. It's called a Levirate marriage leverite marriage and the idea was if you were a you were a, a relative a male relative and your brother your cousin your male cousin died leaving uh, their wife without kids without an inheritance you had a responsibility to provide and to protect and to care for that widow and that part of that responsibility could be if they already had, Maybe children, um, but they weren't old enough. Maybe you would you would you would purchase the property that belonged to the dead male relative. You would redeem that property so that that woman would not be left destitute, would not be left um, impoverished, but would be provided for. If she had no son to whom uh, to pass on her inheritance, then then you had a responsibility, if you were able, to be able to uh, marry that woman and then provide, if the Lord was willing, a son for her. It's not a practice we practice now. But for those of you who are tempted to think that the Old Testament, and particularly the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament, and that the law was somehow degrading, this is a picture of how God threw the Old Testament law in a very dark time in, in history, a very dark time of depravity, where, where women were not valued, where women did not have value and did not have rights where God was ensuring that the people, the women among his people were provided for, were protected, were cared for, and were not just discarded. That someone who is close to them would be a redeemer to them. That's the word there. Uh, uh, Sometimes it's called a kinsman, a relative, a kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word here is goel. It's another tremendous word. If you do word studies, look up both of these words. Look up hesed and look up goel. They're loaded words, but I got to keep us moving here. Boaz is a, a relative. He's a close relative, he's a potential redeemer. All right. look with me at, at chapter three now, verse eight and nine. So Naomi tells Ruth, now I want you to go and I want you to make a request of Boaz. I want you to go in and let him know that he's a redeemer and you're requesting that he fulfill his role as a redeemer. So they concoct this plan, not a, not a deceptive plan, um, not even an impure plan, right? But they go and, and, and she finds him one night working and here's what we find in chapter three, verse eight and nine. At midnight, the man was startled, so he had fallen asleep. While working. At midnight the man was startled and turned over. And behold a woman lay at his feet. And he said who are you? And she answered I'm Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. For you are a redeemer. So basically at this point. I'm not going to go into the details. That that questions arise here. um, But just know that there's a lot of discussion. That goes on what really happened here. I think there's purity going on here. And she's making a request. And she says spread your wings over me. In other words, fulfill your responsibility as a redeemer. Marry me. right? And it's not like a, a forward woman who, who, is, who is going and proposing to a man in a, in a culture that, that was not progressive and she's being progressive. It's not that kind of stuff. It's simply her saying, will you fulfill your role as a redeemer? As a goel. All right? And so she does that, and, and uh, he says to her, um, listen, I will do this if I'm the right person for this, he says. But there's actually a closer relative. And the idea was it's the closest relative who should do this. There's a closer relative. Let's check with him. I'll do that tomorrow. But uh, for now, he's going to make sure she's taken care of, she's she's cared for, and he's going to send her away. In the morning, when it's safe, he's going to send her away with some great uh, provision. And nothing impure happens in this story at this point. The next day, we're gonna jump now to chapter, chapter four because the next day he goes to the gate, he finds this other relative, he catches him up to speed. Hey, Naomi's back in town, husband died. Um, she is in need of a redeemer. Um, you're the closest relative. She has some land. Are you willing to do this? He says, oh yeah, I'm willing to do this. He's gonna inherit some land, right? And then Boaz says, well, if you do that, then the other thing that comes with this is she has a daughter-in-law, Ruth, a Moabitess, a foreigner, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll wait, um, maybe this redeemer, this, this close relative, no, nah, I'm not sure I can do that. It, it might impose on my, my own inheritance. I'm not capable of doing that. Boaz, if you want to do it, it's yours. Okay, Boaz makes the deal, does what he needs to do. Jump with me to chapter four, verse 13. Chapter four, verse 13. So Boaz has gone back to Ruth now So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. That's biblical speak, parents. That's Bible speak for, you know. And um, he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. See how the Lord is the main character here? And she bore a son. Look at verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, now Naomi comes back into the picture here and Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. I'm going to pause there for just a moment because there is a tremendous shift in the story that has taken place. Remember, death brought emptiness, but God brings fullness. And so Boaz, he, he is a relative, he is close, he's related to him, and he comes and he brings um, uh, fullness back to this family by marrying Ruth. The Lord blesses them by opening Ruth's womb, gives them a son. Now that son is, is not only a blessing to, to, to Boaz and and Ruth, but to Naomi because it's going to carry on the family of her husband's name. And and that son now is going to be able to inherit the land and the property and the rights of her husband. And so now you've got Naomi who started the story going, don't call me Naomi because God has dealt bitterly with me. And she was bitter and she's empty. And now the story has flipped completely 180 degrees. And now God has brought fullness back into Naomi's life because he's provided this, this, this son through, through Ruth and Boaz, the faithfulness and the loyalty of Ruth to Naomi and the, the kindness and the favor of the hesed of Boaz to Ruth to fulfill his role as a redeemer. And the faithfulness and kindness of God to open up the the womb of Ruth and provide a son. And so we go on and we look at verse 15 and 16. He shall be to you. This is the lady still talking about the son. The son shall be to you, or God shall be to you. He's talking about God. God shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. What a statement. Your daughter-in-law, a woman, who is more to you than seven sons. Because God does not neglect women. In fact, God values women, and he upholds that value, and he provides and he protects them, and and he he is a God who sees and cares for the vulnerable, and he doesn't favor men over women. And the Bible draws that out. The author of the Bible, God, and the human author of the book of Ruth draws that out here. Keep going, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. God has flipped the story. He's become once again a a restorer of life. He's brought fullness where there was emptiness because death brings emptiness but God brings fullness and then the story the story wraps up verse 17 look with me there verse 17 and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi they named him Obed he was the father of Jesse the father of David yes King David So there's part of this story that's helping us to see where David comes from, one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel, and we'll get into his story here in the next couple of weeks. But how good is God? Right? And Ruth, by the way, will also show up in the genealogy of Jesus. She is part of the line of Jesus. And yet she's a foreigner, and she was a widow. She was foreignable. Where there's emptiness, God can bring fullness. And so again, God has not left us without a redeemer. Maybe you're going, okay, where's the Easter story in this? Here it is. The story starts out with death. That death brings emptiness, destitution, desperateness, desolation, and it separates this family from their people. It's, it brings separation. And there's a type of separation that Naomi and Ruth cannot overcome on their own. They are are left uh, far off from the people, from their families. So far off, so separated are they because of what death has brought, that they are unable to do anything to bridge that gap. They are in need of someone, someone who is like them, a, a relative who's related to them, who's close to them, someone who can step in and show a kindness to them that's undeserving, but that, that is the type of kindness that is sacrificial and selfless that would then step in and redeem them to restore to them the, the, the value lost and the, the rights lost and to, to restore the fullness that, that has left them because of that death. And then that, 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 that redeemer, Boaz in the story, right? That redeemer steps in, fulfills his role. And as a result of that redemption that takes place, it brings a, a fullness and, and new life. And so there was a child born, a son, a new life. My God, he's so good. Do you see it? do you, do you hear it? Because just like Naomi and Ruth, we have experienced a death as a result of sin that has entered into the world. Death came through one man, Adam, and as a result, death spread to all people. Romans 5, chapter 12, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We've experienced a death and it's left us empty and desolate and desperate and separate from God. And that that desolation and that desperateness and that emptiness, that that separation is so great that we cannot do anything to overcome that. We instead are in need of someone who is like us, someone who is related to us, to step in and redeem us and to show that kindness, that grace, that favor to us. And so God humbled himself and he took on the form of humanity. Humanity and he came in the person of Jesus. As a man born to a woman, as a man born under the law, so that he might live under the requirement of the law and meet the righteous standard of God's law. He became like us. He was human in every way except without sin, so that he might live a life in our place in perfect obedience, a life that you and I cannot live, that he might then go and die a death in our place, a death that we fully deserved. Second Corinthians 5, 21, Paul the apostle says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. There was an exchange that took place. There was a kindness of God that was shown to a desperate and empty people And a death took place on our behalf that we might know the forgiveness of sins, that we might have the penalty of our sin, the wages, the things that we earned because of sin was death. And that death took place in Christ because God never takes sin lightly. Sin was dealt with on the cross and just like in the story of Ruth there was a, a redeemer that stepped in and showed hesed kindness favor grace and redeemed he purchased for them out of a destitute spot just like Christ on the cross purchased us out of enslavement to sin but there's also new life because as Christ raised from the dead 3 days later he showed that he had a greater power than death He overcame death because he raised to a new type of life. And because death is the impact and the result of sin, he overcame sin, showing that he has a greater power over sin. So that he then might be able to give to those who trust in him the same type of victory over death and over sin, the same type of life, this newness of life. And we saw it in the book of Ruth the birth of a son uh, who was named Obed, who became the father of uh, Jesse, who became the father of David. Jesus gives us new life when he rises from the dead, which is what we particularly celebrate on Easter. But remember I said we celebrate this every time we gather. My God, he is so good. Why would he do it? Why would he show such kindness? He's not left you without a redeemer. That's the story of Ruth. And that's our story. As people who follow Christ... As people who have experienced new life, we once knew emptiness, but God has brought us fullness. Listen, some of you are watching or listening to this, and you are empty, but God can bring a fullness that you have never known. And he does it through Christ alone. but you've got to stop trusting in what you're trusting in and instead turn away from that and, and turning away from that, you turn toward God and you, you, you trust in what he's done for Christ because you can't overcome that separation that has been brought about by sin. Only God can. And he didn't have to, but he did because of his kindness. Paul says in, in Romans chapter two, somewhere around verse 15, I believe, it is the kindness of God That leads us to repentance. My God, He is so good. That He would show such kindness to people who were far from Him, desperate, desolate, destitute, dead spiritually, and destined for death physically, and separate from God. But that His kindness, He would do all that was necessary from start to finish, from before the foundation of the world. This was his plan, to redeem a people by showing his kindness to them, taking them from empty to full. Some of you, you need to trust in Christ today that you might know that fullness. Others of you, you know it, you've lived it, but maybe you still experience an emptiness right now because of death or sickness. Listen, when we focus on death, when we focus on the the impact and the result of sin, we will be overcome with despair. We will be without hope. But we're not a people, if we've trusted in Christ, we are not a people who have no hope. Because of the resurrection of Christ, because he overcame sin and death, and those who trust in Christ are guaranteed and promised the very same result because he did it, we will do it. We have a hope. So we don't focus on the death and the sickness. We acknowledge it. We we look at the world with reality. But yet we do so through hope. We do so with a joy that is unwavering. Do you know that right now? Some of you have experienced an emptiness right now. And I hope and I pray that the Lord right now is speaking encouragement to you. Words of hope, words of of promise that he's reminding you, um, bringing things maybe to fulfillment, things that you've been praying for, bringing that restoration, that fullness back to you. And so God, that's what I pray for these people right now, for all of us, is that you would bring a fullness where there is emptiness, that God, you would show your kindness and that it would be well known That, God, you would would not leave us in a state of emptiness, but that, God, your spirit would constantly encourage us. Speak words of hope and encouragement to us that we might live with joy and fullness in Christ. For those, God, who have not trusted in Christ, but you're speaking to them now, you're calling them, God, open their eyes, open their heart that they might understand and respond your kindness today by repenting and believing in Christ. Father, for those women who are listening, these young moms, these single moms, these young wives, these uh, older widows, these people who find themselves, these women who find themselves feeling devalued by a man, by a culture, by society, God, would you speak encouragement to them now for young girls who will grow up? Would you speak encouragement to them in words of hope that, God, you value them, you see them, you you work in them and through them just as you do anyone, that you would raise up women who are loyal and faithful to show the type of love and love and reflect the character of God to change the course of our culture and our society. That these women, that God, you would raise up strong women who love you and who are surrendered and submitted to you and obedient to you, but who are unwavering in the face of those who would devalue or discourage. Speak to those girls those women now, Lord. And for that person who's empty, God, I pray that you would turn their situation around, that they would then know your kindness and give you the glory. My God, you are so good. And I thank you in the name of Christ, our risen Lord, amen. All right, you guys, I know a second week in a row I went long, but sorry. Um, if uh, if, uh, if uh, we can do anything for you, I want to remind you, we're trying to stay in touch with you. Please let us know. And until we talk to you next, we will see you then. Happy Easter.